Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. Why, hello, and welcome to episode 184 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the first episode of September 2016, which was recorded last weekend at Rose City Comic Con. Now, before we get to that, I have a couple of brief housekeeping announcements. You still have some time to turn in your homework for Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. The deadline for that is September 23rd, so make sure to get your thoughts, questions, and reviews sent in before that date to be included in the discussion. Additionally, did you know that the newest Godzilla film from Japan is coming to America? It's true. Funimation Films has secured the distribution rights for Shin Godzilla, and it begins next month. Now, here in Portland, we have two separate events that you might want to come out to and join us for some awesome monster action. On Tuesday, October 11th, a bunch of Portland listeners are getting together for a group viewing of the film at Century 16 Eastport Plaza on Southeast 82nd Avenue for their 7.30 p.m. screening. Now, look for a link in the show notes for a Facebook event, and that event page will have a link where you can buy tickets. Last time I looked, there were like a handful left, so don't wait too long. And secondly, the following night, actually, Wednesday, October 12th, I will be introducing the film at the historic Hollywood Theater on Northeast Sandy Boulevard for their first screening of Shin Godzilla at 7 p.m. Again, look for links in the show notes for details on both of these events, and we hope to see you there. Now, like I said, the rest of this episode is the panel that we recorded at Rose City Comic Con, which was called Monster Oddities of Japan. It featured myself, Rachel Cook, Brian Cook, Jeff Dean, and Baron Von Gulo, which is actually, you know, Dave Helfrey, who's usually on the show. He was in his Baron makeup for uh, Fright Town, which had a table at Rose City. Anyway, we talk about some really cool, obscure movies. Now, these are obscure to the people who, like, know some Godzilla movies, know some Gamera movies, but don't know the hardcore kaiju films, you know. So people who are hardcore kaiju fans, there's not going to be a ton of new information in here, but hopefully you will enjoy the panel all the same. Now, uh, we are going to close out the show with that audio from the panel. So before I get into that, let's just play The Anger of Baradagi by Akira Ifukabe, because I did not actually talk about Daikaiju Varan in that panel. Excellent. Welcome to Monster Oddities of Japan. Yay! I should have cued you. I totally should have pointed for that. All right, so we all know Godzilla, right? And I'm assuming that everybody in this room knows about Gamera. Yeah. But there's more than just these guys and the monsters that they've fought. We have a plethora of giant movies, giant movies, giant monster movies that are out there and are absolutely amazing. And we want to share some of those with you. Uh, before we do anything else, though, let's meet our panelists. Sitting on the right, we have Mr. Baron Von Gulo. Hello! Who sometimes appears on the podcast as Dave. That's my, that's my Caucasian alter ego. <laughs> next up <laughs> uh, next up we have Mr. Jeff Dean 
And then to his right, Brian Cook. And his wife, Rachel, here. Hi, everybody. And then I'm the idiot who runs the entire podcast. My name is Kyle. If you've never met me before, uh, please come by booth 820, because my buddy Keith Foster and I are selling nothing but giant monster-related awesomeness. Uh, now, we are on a podcast called The Kaiju Cast. Who here has heard of The Kaiju Cast before? That applause just makes me feel so good right here. So Monster Oddities of Japan, we basically wanted to share with you guys some really cool movies and some really cool stuff that came out in Japan throughout the history of giant monsters. But uh, you know, there's way too much to cover in a 50 minute panel. So what we've done is we've each chosen one film and we're gonna share that film with you. Uh, there's a little bit of an audio visual presentation happening too. You guys can see the screen okay, no problem? And uh, I think we're going to start things off with the Baron, who's going to be talking about Frankenstein Conquers the World. Frankenstein, yes. I have chosen my film that I chose. I've decided to play to type with Halloween right around the corner. And Fright Town opening on October, Fright Town opening on October 1st at the Rose Quarter. I have coupons for you if you like. Woo! Shameless plug! Uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World, 1965. Uh, directed by uh, Ishiro Honda and uh, special effects by the guy whose name I always uh, mispronounce. Uh, Eiji Tsuburaya. Eiji, that's the part I screw up. Tsuburaya. And uh, starring uh, Toho's uh, default token Caucasian, Nick Adams. And <laughs> uh, yes, right? It's ever Nick Adams. <laughs> All right, and let's, uh, we have a trailer or something? That's right. Not very loud, apparently. unfathomable depths, a gigantic, man-like creature appears. From the fiery depths of the Earth comes a prehistoric mastodon of destruction. Before has the scream known such heart-stopping terror. Starring Nick Adams. Yes! Well, I feel he's very important from a scientific point of view. I'd have to cut off a leg or an arm. Doctors, I won't let you conduct this test. Frankenstein, with the strength of a thousand men. And every man's need for affection that makes him a willing captive. The chain hurts you. The new scoop of the century. The horrifying touch of a severed hand with a life of its own. The terrifying force of a monster that dwarfs man's tallest structures. Doesn't as love that, you, you know? Yeah, as if you could possibly need any explanation after that as to why I love that movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, it's, it, uh, it, it has everything. Uh, but a little bit. Uh, so here, here, here's your list. World War II, Nazis capture the heart of Frankenstein's monster from Dr. Frankenstein, which is then exposed to the radiation of the nuclear blast at, at uh, Hiroshima. Okay, so the heart grows a new giant body. Okay, it gets, it gets better. And people start getting eaten. They, of course, blame the giant freak flat top monster body, but no, it's subterranean B list favorite Baragon <laughs> comes in. They fight to the death during a raging forest fire 
And as if that's not good enough, if you're lucky enough to see the international version, Frankenstein then fights a giant octopus. It's so good! It's so good. It has everything and makes no sense. I love it. It's so good. Who here has seen Frankenstein Conquers the World? Yo, right. yo, you can see, there's so okay. many of you haven't seen it. You can go see it. It's on YouTube, I think. Probably. I think you can see the whole so movie many on YouTube. Things on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> so one of the interesting things that I love about Frankenstein Conquers the World, aside from Nick Adams, who is, in my opinion, the best Caucasian actor to ever grace the Seriously, screen. Raymond Burr? Talk. What is that? I you love know, Raymond Burr, like, but yeah. Nick Adams, yeah. he's just so personable. He gets in there, and you got to listen to what he's saying. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I mean, aside from Nick Adams, aside from the uh, first appearance of Baragon, there's, and I'm going to have to stop myself because I could probably say about 15 different things that I love about this movie, but Baragon was made for this film and then became one of the sort of stock creatures that suit has been destroyed and reshaped into other different monsters. So anybody here watch Ultraman? Yeah. So in Ultraman, he was, I think, four different monsters. They pulled off his head and turned him into Naranga, turned him into Gabora, uh, Magular. Oh, and in Ultra Q, the first, sh the predecessor to Ultraman, he was Pagos. So that monster, before he showed he up some mileage, in uh, uh, 1968's Destroy All Monsters, Baragon did, uh, he was really, really dissected by Subaraya <laughs> and used for Ultraman. But obviously, he's a fan favorite. People love him. Yeah, he's much less um, lovable in Frankenstein Conquers the World than he is in GMK. That's true. That's true. Completely, they did bring him back for attitude. the 2001 film. Yeah. It's a fun movie. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Yeah. That trailer does the movie justice. Now, it's magnificent. It, I, the like that. I like that. The availability of this movie, Dave said it's on, it might be on YouTube. Uh, there's something that a lot of listeners to the show know. A lot of these movies come out on DVD and they're put, produced by small-time companies. And then once those... DVDs sell out, they get super mega crazy expensive. It makes me really angry as somebody who does a podcast where I try and get everybody to watch these movies. So if there are legitimate versions of it, you should check it out. But like, I would not suggest paying like a hundred bucks for it. You know what I mean? I would. I mean, it's worth it. It's worth it. And if I didn't already own it on DVD, I would seriously consider it. Oh, now you're just bragging. And Dave is, and the Blu -ray, is selling them for a hundred dollars at his booth. So. <laughs> All right, so I think we're going to go ahead and move on to our next movie, and that is going to be covered by Mr. Jeff Dean. All right, the movie I'm going to be talking about is from 1966. Uh, it's called Daimajine, um, produced by uh, Daiei Studios, the same studio that uh, made the Gamera films. Um, but also some classics, some Kurosawa classics. That's true. Uh, the story of Daimajin is basically um, a samurai lord is uh, murdered by one of his own servants. And uh, the traitor then claims the throne and forces the lord's children uh, to flee into the woods where they uh, uh, live with a witch on the side uh, of, of, a, of a mountain. And at this mountain is a 40-foot tall stone god that the villagers worship called Daimajin. And uh, Daimajin is supposed to, the legend has it, has a soul of a, like a thousand-year-old warrior um, embedded in, in, into the uh, statue. Uh, let's uh, show the trailer. Yeah, okay, so there were, actually this movie was picked up by a U.S. distributor back in the 60s named AIP, but they never produced an English-language trailer for it. Before we show the trailer, I, I just wanted to say one thing real quick. Daimajin holds a very unique spot in the kaiju lore, in the you know, landscape of giant monster movies. Not only did that movie come out in 1966, but the two sequels also came out in 1966, and they are amazing, in my opinion. If you haven't seen Daimajin, check it out. But uh, what we have for a trailer is uh, ADV, which is a company that used to release a lot of tokusatsu stuff on DVD, and home video here in the States, they put together this trailer, which is a little, you know, modern almost, but it's good.
Yeah, that music is not in the movie. Yeah, no. In fact, Akira Kurosawa, no, not Kurosawa, Akira Ifukube, the yeah. soundtrack composer for Godzilla, many Godzilla films did the, did the music for these films. Yeah, and, that, and it's a fantastic, moody, uh, haunting score that he does for Daimajine. Um, one thing I really love about this movie is um, its serious and um, almost like horrific tones that it has throughout the film. Um, in giant monster movies around this time in the late 60s with Godzilla and Gamera, they were really you know, starting to cater towards children. This film does not cater towards kids at all. There are some scenes of uh, pretty extreme violence for the time, uh, like people being crucified, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty shocking, even, even today, but it's so solidly made. The special effects are fantastic. Like I said, great score. The acting is good. Um, and it, the acting is so good and you care so much for the characters that it doesn't even really matter that you don't really have any of the giant destruction and you know, so-called monster scenes in, until uh, basically the climax of the film. But uh, like Kyle said, uh, both sequels are definitely worth checking out. They cover the same uh, you know, themes of, of, of revenge. And if you want, you can, because these, for a long time, these films are really, really hard to find in the United States. But about three or four years ago, um, I think it was Mill Creek put out a Blu-ray set with all three, and you can get them on Amazon for like 12 bucks. Highly recommended. Probably the best $12 you'll ever spend. It's a really great series, and like they're all very similar. They're revenge tales, right? So uh, I don't want to go into it and spoil it for you, but you know, something bad happens. The villagers pray to their god, and the god comes and like wipes the floor with the with the bad guys. Basically, it's a seriously amazing film series, and I am actually disappointed that Jeff chose it instead of me because he totally swiped it for me. <laughs> I'm that kind of guy. Uh, and yeah, seriously, the the Blu-ray is available. It's also available on DVD. Once ADV got their hands on it, and I want to say like the late. 90s or early 2000s, they put it out in several different versions. So there was like VHS, and then they came out with the DVDs, and then better quality DVDs. And now the Blu-rays are direct transfers from the Japanese ones, uh, Japanese transfers. Plus, they even did their own dub, and it's good. Like it's actually a good modern dub of the film. Totally worth watching. Yeah, it's a great. It's the closest thing you'll get to a combination of a samurai movie and a. Oh, kaiju yeah. film it mixes both genres so if you're a fan of samurai movies a, a lot of this movie applies to that so i remember growing up and watching uh, in the 70s and watching this on like the saturday afternoon creature feature they'd, they'd show some of the Majin movies and after that my sisters and i would spend like two or three weeks just you know playing in the forest and going <laughs> <laughs> good times good times <laughs> All right, so I think we're ready to move on to our next film. Brian Cook is going to be covering a somewhat sequel to Frankenstein sort Conquers of. the World. Yeah. Straight up, baby. Go ahead, man. Yep. Well, yeah, if you didn't get enough giant Frankenstein action with Dave's suggestion, this is sort of the sequel, Frankenstein, uh, War of the Gargantuas. In, in Japan, it's actually called Frankenstein's Monsters, is the subtitle there in Japanese. But, uh, yeah, it's about a giant gargantuan monster. He kind of looks like a Bigfoot, sort of, like a, an evil jolly green giant, if you will, um, with shaggy fur. And he's, uh, tor he's tormenting people, he's knocking over boats, and uh, the government blames the gargantuas, which are these monsters established in the first film. They're kind of Frankenstein's son. In, the, in Dave's movie, there's a scene where there's a hand and it kind of, like he said, the heart grows a body around it. In the Frankenstein, uh, in the War of the Gargantuas movie, the, they are from Frankenstein's cells. So even like one cell of Frankenstein grows into these Gargantua brothers. So uh, the green one's tormenting the city and they ask the scientist who specialized in the Frankenstein monsters, which is kind of a play on their characters from Frankenstein Conquers the World. They ask them to help. And it's revealed later in the film that the one that they worked with was the brown Gargantua, who's a nice monster, a good Gargantua. He kind of looks like Dirk Nowinski from uh, the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, if he was a shaggy Bigfoot. Um, but he's a good guy, and he fights the green monster, and uh, 
Yeah, you get a lot of kaiju action, but usual usually kaiju movies have like big tails and slow action. But since the gargantuas are kind of just humans wearing shaggy suits, they get a lot more like pro wrestling. So there's a lot more hip throws in the buildings, stuff like that, which is really cool. The effects are really really great. It is. It is one of my favorite uh, kaiju movies. I would put it way up towards the top, so. All right, well, let's watch a trailer. This is the international trailer. speaking. We need your help. Sir, you've studied giant animals. You had one in captivity, didn't you? Yes, that was five years ago. You know, uh, he might have been a young species of a gargantua. Attention! All aircraft are to turn away! An alert! An alert! This is Tokyo Tower! Don't land! Northwest and has reached this point. We will move headquarters out to the field immediately. units to the beaches. And yes, that was Russ Tamblin. Yes. Yeah, Instead of Nick Adams. West Side Story. Yeah. Or what, Twin, Peaks. Twin Peaks. Or <laughs> Twin, Twin Peaks. Or Twin Peaks. Or what was the uh, the Tarantino film he was in? Django Unchained. Yeah. 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 So he's in all those all those productions. He replaces Nick Adams, who is basically the same role in Frankenstein Conquers the World. Yeah, it is kind of a sequel, but it's also yeah, it's, weird because it's almost like someone watched Frankenstein Conquers the World on a plane while they weren't paying attention yeah. to it, and then they're like, "I'm just going to write the sequel now." I think it was a. Uh, brown gargantua guy and <laughs> just it's like such a weird like way to do a sequel because Kumi Mizuno the woman who fell down both in this trailer and in the Frankenstein Conquers the World trailer uh, she plays essentially the same role and Nick Adams and uh, that guy Russ Tamblin. Russ Tamblin play almost the same role but you know and they, not, there's not even, Nick Adams. There's even one scene that's almost essentially the same in both movies when they have young Frankenstein, not not the Mel Brooks movie, uh, <laughs> but they have a, a younger Frankenstein, and then in the War of the Gargantuas, they have the baby brown Gargantua, and it's essentially the same scene. So it's very confusing if you were to want to make a coherent timeline. <laughs> I don't know how you do that, but they are sequels. Except Russ Tamblin is pretty much kind of sleeping his way through yeah. this movie. Yeah. He's not as charming as Nick Adams. I don't Coherence think it, is all that, overrated. Yeah, all, that, uh, all that emphatic speaking that I did in doing a Nick Adams impersonation is just thrown out the window with Russ Tamblin, who really just seemed like he barely wanted to be there. Which I think in one interview he actually said that he, was, he saw the job offer. It was like, sweet, a free trip to Japan? Yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> but regardless, the uh, the Russ Tamlin 
introduction to it was his only film, whereas Nick Adams got to be in a few. Oh, and uh, you've if you've been paying attention, you may have heard me say AIP a couple of times. This is a this was a U.S. distributor that would bring the films over to the states, and they didn't get every kaiju film, but they did get a lot of them. And so they did Frankenstein Conquers the World and Monster Zero the same year. Anybody seen Monster Zero? That's a Godzilla Heck film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Godzilla versus Monster Zero or Invasion of Astro Monster. Anyway, uh, the guy who ran AIP, Saperstein, he actually would put these packages together and get the actors in America to sign on for a you know, multi-picture deal and then bring them over to Japan where they would be sort of like the white face in the in the production to bring so that they could bring it over to the states and people would go oh nick adams i love him you know and then go see the movie uh but when it came to this one it just didn't work out so well the japanese version has some very uh almost identical scenes that don't feature russ tamlin <laughs> so I always like to entertain the idea that Russ Tamlin didn't impress the, the filmmakers and they reshot some stuff without him. But I don't know if that's true or not. And it's got the best musical number in any kaiju film. <laughs> <laughs> there, is a, there is a lounge singer in the movie that sings a very terrible there song. There she is. No, there wait, that's not her. No, that's I went too far. That way. Kip Hamilton, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Kip Hamilton. Yes. <laughs> she sings a screechy, awful song. And, uh, then and the Brian's going to karaoke it right now. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> uh, no. but uh, It's horribly catchy, too. Uh, oh, yeah. my God. It was covered by Devo, as a matter of fact. But, uh, yeah, the monster can't handle it, and he takes her out. So it's, it's wonderful. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> uh, I, also, some giant octopus trivia. Uh, for the, the uh, I think the creature is called Udaku, the uh, the giant octopus at the, the beginning of this trailer here. Uh, my understanding is uh, what I mentioned in Frankenstein Conquers the World that there is this lost footage somewhere of Frankenstein fighting uh, the uh, octopus that didn't make it into the American the AIP uh, release. And my understanding is that the uh, AIP people were so uh, disappointed that it did not make it into the release of. Uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World, that they were like, uh, yeah, and uh, when we get this gargantuan thing, uh, let's get some uh, giant octopus in there. We, uh, we, we like the giant octopus. And uh, giant, and so Odaku ended up in uh, Where Are the Gargantuas? Yeah. Because right that's how beginning. Hollywood works. <laughs> Japanese Hollywood. But right. yeah, that was, the, uh, <laughs> that was the Odaku, and uh, that's the one in the picture right there. And uh, yeah, anybody else have anything they want to say about War of the Gargantuas? All right, so we, I think we can move on. Wow, I had a lot of photos from War of the Gargantuas. Well, because they're awesome. They're so <laughs> rad. And now, normally we just cover things in Japan, but sometimes we branch out and just touch the next country over, meaning Korea. And so Rachel is going to talk about one of her favorite movies, I think, Pulgasari. I'm, I'm going to go with favorite background story rather than favorite movie. <laughs> um, so this film, he has 1985 question mark on there because um, essentially uh, back in the 1970s, Kim Jong-il, the communist dictator of North Korea, um, decided... Oh, that Kim yeah, that Yeah, oh. that Kim Jong-il, by the way. Not, not what right. they call Jeff sometimes. Um, no. <laughs> Um, what an uh, interesting home uh, life you too much have. <laughs> um, but uh, he decides that he wants to get into making his own movies, and he really likes the South Korean director, Shin Song-uk, and his um, wife, Che Eun-wee, and he uh, takes it upon himself to kidnap them and bring them to North Korea and have them make movies for him. And one of those movies, because he had just seen the 1985 Godzilla was a big hit in Japan, Kim Jong-il wants to make some money off of a giant monster movie as well, and decides to make Pulgasari. Let's watch the trailer. This is the Japanese trailer because like, you can't find anything about, like, from, directly from Korea. 
映画史に刻まれるこの歴史的事件を見逃してはならない「プルガサリ伝説の大怪獣」誰も見ることのできなかった怪獣映画の最高傑作が 35mm ニュープリント完全版でついに日本上陸全世界の映画ファンが夢にまで見た伝説的見せ場の数々その全貌が明らかになる時が来た1万人以上の群衆が繰り広げる驚異のスペクタクル壮大なスケールで展開する破壊のカタルシス今熱い注目の中映画史に残る怪獣映画の金字塔が世界で初めて大スクリーンに登場する全世界が待っていた伝説の怪獣映画ついに解禁フルガサリ伝説の大怪獣 This is a real oddity, you guys. Like, Frankenstein Conquers the World, Daimajine, you know,、uh, War of the Gargantuas, while we consider those oddities because they're outside of the Godzilla and Gamera mythos, essentially, they're fairly readily available. Polgasari, however, not the case. No, it's、um, so they, after the, they finished the film,、um, And I guess a side note,、uh, when something really interesting is, I don't know if you guys recognize kind of the style of walking of the giant monster, maybe,、um, Paul Gasari. It's because Kim Jong il also decided to essentially trick the special effects crew from Toho, including Ken Pachiro Satsuma, who is the suit actor in Godzilla films at the time,、um, and have bring them over.、Um, To North Korea and have them do the special effects for the film as well as the suit acting of Polk Sari.、Um, and so he,、um, so in that, in that movie, they had, they had basically, I guess the rundown of that is there's peasants in a village that,、um, that get their tools and pots and pans and things taken away by a corrupt government leader and group.、Um, the government comes in and takes everything in order to make weapons. And then the villagers decide to fight back. And one of them is a blacksmith, and he gets locked up in prison. And while in prison, he takes some rice and forms it into a little monster toy. And then、um, eventually passes away, and his daughter、um, gets a hold of the toy, and she cuts herself while sewing and gets blood on the little toy. And it, that's what makes the toy come to life and grow up and become Polgasari. And he eats iron, is his thing. And so he. Um, gets, keeps getting fed iron, getting into iron, eating all this iron, and he keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where he gets out of control, starts destroying the city, as you can kind of see in the trailer. He starts off looking like that little adorable little thing on、yes. the left there. He is then... so cute when he's little. <laughs> and Rachel loves the cute kaiju. I do. <laughs> and then he turns into this big guy. Yeah, which is still an awesome suit. I love the look of that suit. I think they did a really good job,、um, which, of course, if you have the Toho crew working on it, they're going to pull that off pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I actually asked、uh, Kimpachiro Satsuma about Polgasari when he was、uh, at Monster Mania, which is a convention that happened earlier this year in New Jersey. And he, I was totally expecting him to tell me that they had some scary. Experience, but he actually said that with the exception of the North Korean filmmakers not knowing how to make a giant monster movie, they were treated really well. And then they basically got off the plane and said,、uh, We're just going to do this ourselves. And so Satsuma and Teriyoshi Nakano, the special effects director of Toho at the time, they basically helped make Polgasari. Yeah, it's, it's a really, the film itself、um, is. It's good, but it's just the background story that's so fascinating. And,、um, and I, we said like 1985 because they produced it in 1985, finished. I think they, I read、um, in the book, which we're going to show a picture of here in a minute,、um, 
that it wrapped on December 28, 1985, um, and then was released in North Korea several months later, and people went nuts for it in North Korea. They loved it. Everybody showed up. However, you have to keep in mind that in North Korea at the time, if Kim Jong-il makes a movie, everybody's required to see it. So you got to take that with a grain of salt, too. But um, I loved it. It was better than Cats. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but where a lot of the interesting background information that you guys um, can get is uh, what kind of started off um, my research on this movie. And Brian and I, in fact, as well as the rest of us when working on it for an episode of the Kaiju Cast, um, was a book came out called A Kim Jong-il Production. And what's the full title, Kyle? Can you read it on there? Or is it up? It's the extraordinary true story of a kidnapped filmmaker, filmmaker. his star actress, and a young direct dictator's rise to power. Yeah, and it's it goes through the whole history of the kidnapping and making the film and making other films as well. And um, and eventually, Shin Songuk and Che Eunhui were able to escape. Um, and they um, ended up also making films in um, the United States eventually. And yeah, the. Um, uh, Shin Sang Ak went on to make Three Ninjas here in America after escaping North Korea. So. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. yeah so. Side, sideways step up in his career? I don't know. I think I'm sure the, it's a step up just to escape North Korea. I think yeah. the uh, film did win two Best Picture at the North Korean Academy Awards. It was the only one nominated. but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so this book is available now. There's also an audio version of it as well. Um, in addition to this story, this enthralling story about these directors, and, or the director and his wife who were, you know, essentially... Shanghai'd and, and forced to make these movies for Kim Jong-il. Uh, there's also a movie coming out, a documentary called The Lovers and the Despot. I don't know when it's gonna be out, but this sort of just came to be. So uh, when we post this episode, we always have show notes for each episode. So all of this stuff is gonna be loosely in the show notes. And I'll have a link to the Lovers and the Despot trailer as well, which we're not gonna show right now. But seriously, Paul Gasari is, it's not a great film, but for the, for the actual uh, production and all the crazy story behind it, it's pretty good. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's, it's definitely watchable, and it's short. It's only an hour and 34 minutes, I think. Um, and so it's, it's a quick watch as well, and, um, and it's, just, it's, it's interesting also just to see that um, all of the things that they did in in the movie, there's a lot of really kind of things that make you think that was the director kind of inserting his own thoughts about the whole situation going on in North Korea, the political situation, and there's a lot of interesting things where you really, it's a good discussion film to watch with friends and also read the book and, and see kind of, see a lot of correlation between things that were actually happening in North Korea at the time and a lot of it currently um, and what actually happened in the film. And so it's, um, it's kind of neat to watch for those things. Yeah, it's kind of like a, whereas Daimajin is kind of like a samurai movie infused with monster movies, this is almost like, not a kung fu film, but like it's an Asian style kung fu vibe where there's an evil dictator and the people rise up and so forth. And then there's just happens to be a really cool monster in it. And then that is going to do it for Paul Gasari here. And we're going to move on to my choice for the movie uh, that I wanted to share, an actual oddity. Now, there, I've been doing the podcast since 2009. And there are, like I said earlier, so, so many weird, crazy, wonderful monsters in Japan. I decided to choose something new. And so um, I picked the Deep Sea Monster Raiga. Has anyone here seen that? Including my panelists? No. Okay. I went for the mega obscure. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a kaiju hipster. The, um, the deal is that this is the second film in a trilogy by director Shinpei Hayashiya. If you have ever heard his name before, he's actually not a big time film director. He, he makes fan films that are you know essentially indie films. His very first one, 
that got recognition in America and in Japan was actually a sequel to, has actually anybody seen the Gamera series? Gamera from the 90s? Really, really good. If you have not seen that series, we always say go check it out. Super cheap on Blu-ray, like uh, I think from Mill Creek or something too. Anyway, back on it. Hayashiya saw Gamera 3, didn't like the way it ended, and so he made his own Gamera 4, which is extremely dated now, but at the time it was like, whoa, somebody's making a kaiju film. Everybody here in the States that was a hardcore kaiju fan really wanted to see it, and it's never, never been available for anybody to watch because it's totally just a, you know, an indie fan film. In 2005, I'm actually gonna skip forward here, maybe? To that. Okay, so in 2005, he made this movie, uh, which is called, I think, just Steam Monster Riego. And this movie is okay. It's like, it's a great first effort for the trilogy, but I would not suggest watching it. I would definitely suggest watching his second film, where he really is, you know, we use the term firing on all cylinders for Toho movies in the 60s. For an independent Rakugo uh, performer in Japan who make, likes to make his own monster movies, definitely firing on the cylinders he has. And so this is the teaser trailer for that. Okay, so I know it's a little a little weird pill to swallow there. This is a comedy, like straight up. There's there's the deal is that Hayashiya-san is a Rakugo performer, and that's essentially kind of like a Japanese stand-up comedian, but it's a very traditional uh, form, like art form that has been you know gone on and on and on for decades and probably hundreds of years in Japan. He's a Rakugo performer, and so he likes comedy. He likes his monster movies to have a little humor, or a lot of humor through them, and he definitely gets that humor, and, and I think it really works out great for him. Unfortunately, it's not widely available in the States. You can, like Frankenstein Conquers the World, find this on YouTube if you want to. He's also got another movie coming, which is a sequel to the sequel, and I'm looking forward to checking that out eventually. In addition to the big monster kind of looking Godzilla-esque, I want to say that he actually worked with suit sculptors in Japan who, uh, who have made, movie, or made monsters for the movies, like Godzilla and his rubber-suited foes. And it's so fun. It's such a great little fun film to watch. Unfortunately, like I said, it is a comedy. And it, like all of these guys had like super serious movies. <laughs> like, I, I would just say, I know Frankenstein conquers the world. Yeah, oh, when I say, you guys hopefully know when I say super serious, that's with the quotation marks. But uh, it's it's awesome. It's a great film, and it's so much fun. And Shinpei Hayashiya is a delight. I got to interview him for my documentary. Hail to the King, 60 Years of Destruction, and uh, he's just great. Thank you for the woos. <laughs> um, so we got our 10-minute warning, and I've talked through a few of those minutes. So do, does anybody has any questions, we have a microphone there. And just line up, and we'll, uh, we'll answer as best we can. And if you don't have questions, do you guys have questions? No? Well, I prepared a little something extra. <laughs> so well, this is, speaking of funny, uh, the movie I really, really wanted to share with you guys is not available even on YouTube. It's called Gehara, The Long and Dark-Haired Monster. It was produced by NHK, which is a channel in Japan for a, um, essentially just like a 
a, a one-off show. It wasn't like a full-blown monster movie. It's about a 20, I think, 20 or 30 minute movie. And while the comedy stylings of Shinpei Hayashiya work really well with Raiga, it's still pretty low budget feeling. Gehara was actually made by one of the guys who made the brand new Godzilla movie, Shin Godzilla. And Gehara features like his best effects, which he also worked on the Gamera series and G, uh, not GMK, but a whole bunch of other awesome movies. So since we have some extra time, I thought I'd play the Gehara trailer. ゲハラ様の and there you go. Gehara is like like Raiga, it is a comedy. It's a short film, so it's it's a little bit better at its pacing, and I'll tell you one thing, it rules compared to any other comedy kaiju film. It nails the tongue-in-cheek, playful referencing to other kaiju movies. So in this film, there's actually something that looks like a maser cannon, but it's actually a uh, like a hairdryer. <laughs> and like, and they just, I mean, the whole thing is just really well done for a 20, 30 minute movie. It's totally worth picking up. Um, unfortunately, this is only available on DVD and Blu-ray in Japan. And uh, I tell you what though, if I ever do another film festival, monster film festival here in Portland, I am absolutely, absolutely gonna show that movie because it rocks, totally fun. Uh, so if there's no questions or anything, thank you guys all for coming out to the panel. We had a blast putting this stuff together and uh, hopefully you will come over to booth 820 and check out the giant monster action with Kadoja and Kaiju Cast. Thanks again to everybody for showing up. Hey. Thank you to these guys. Baron Von Gulo, yeah. Jeff Booth, Dean, Booth 469, Brian Cook, Rachel Cook, and myself. If you're looking for something awesome to do and you are a listener to the podcast, we are having a listener party at Killer Burger, which is downtown on 3rd and Washington tonight at 8 p.m. Hopefully we'll see you guys out there. And uh, thanks again. Jamata.